Welcome back to the Untitled Sports Podcast. Uh, my name is Ian Cartwright, and we're going to be recapping week one of college football. Sam, how are you doing? Doing well, man. Uh, it's been a, been a great opening weekend. It's been kind of a marathon, and uh, I'm ready to, ready to recap this week. Yeah, this is a super, super exciting week. Uh, I think it went a little different than most of us have predicted. Um, one thing that stood out to me was obviously the fans being back. I think that was awesome to see. A lot of the entrances were cool. Uh, I think the fans made a big impact for the defenses. There was a lot of low-scoring games across the board. Um, we're going to get up into all that soon. So um, what was your, like, knee-jerk reaction to to week one? How you How did you feel? at the end so really once we got into saturday i think my my whole take on week one was you know it was i don't want to compare one sporting event to another but this weekend totally felt like the opening round of the ncaa tournament because there were so many games going on at once and for the sport we're not used to that and the way that you know, you watched a game, but you were scoreboard watching. You were kind of looking, oh, okay, you know, Fresno State's kind of kind of giving Oregon a run for their money. And yeah. you're, you're kind of looking across the board, and it was kind of like that opening – the opening half of all these NCAA tournament basketball games where, you know, it's like 30 to 30 with a couple of minutes before the half where everything is really tightly contested. And then by the time the games go final, the – the favorites have, you know, held serve, but it really was like the tournament because you, you know, you had your, your upsets, you had those, you had those games that were picked to be upsets that ended up being chalk in the end. And it just, yep. I really think, I really think from the scoreboard watching side of things, I just had that excitement of, Oh my gosh, there's so much going on and I can only watch so little of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I even I completely missed the Washington Montana stuff when that was going on. Um, there was a couple games that were going on that I didn't even see at the time because there was just so much going on, and I was watching so many different things that I that I missed it. But the cool thing about this is we get this every weekend uh, again. Right. Um, we're going to be getting this every single weekend as opposed to the tournament for NCAA. You only get it those first like four days when it's crazy. But um, let's go ahead and jump right into our first game. And we were going to go with the Boise State UCF game to recap first, but that one got delayed. It didn't end up finishing till like, what, one in the morning, something like that? Yeah, pretty late. Um, shout out to Boise State's coach, I mean, or Boise State's quarterback for joining class during the rain delay. I think that was pretty funny. Uh, but Ohio State, Minnesota, um, what, are your, what are your sort of initial thoughts? And then, and then I'll kind of dive in afterwards. So I think this was a really cool game to kind of start at least my college football viewing season. Uh, it was, it was very cool to see the uh, stadium full. Obviously that was the first time I had seen it and I was just kind of, you know, like grinning yep. from ear to ear, even before like the opening kickoff. Um, this game to me kind of felt like that game where, you know, Minnesota could go toe to toe with them and then they were going to make a mistake and Ohio state was going to capitalize. And, uh, I really thought I kept waiting for that, for that moment, you know, where Ohio state was going to slam the door shut 
but Minnesota, to their credit, really hung around. Um, I think, obviously, uh, Mo Ibrahim, great running back. Yeah, unfortunately, such a tease to see. Yeah, it was such a tease to see him go off like he did, especially on that fourth and one run. That was so exciting to see, and so disappointing to see him come off the field. And I think that was when. When I when I knew that it wasn't going to happen for Minnesota that night, but even even after that, they still made it a game, and uh, Ohio State ended up being way too explosive in the end. All of their touchdowns were very touchdowny. Yeah, um, I think Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson really showed their dominance this game uh, by being wide open, butt naked every time CJ Stroud threw them the ball. Even on the CJ Stroud interception that he had, which was a terrible throw, uh, Chris Olave, I believe, was completely like wide open on the play. He just threw it so far behind that it was an interception. Uh, what What would you say? How would you rate CJ Stroud's uh, first game on a scale from like one to ten? Well, I do think that you know just the nature of the explosive plays really hide some of the some of the uh, the shakiness that he had, but I yeah. think, you know, Minnesota's not going to be up there with any huge intimidating crowds, but it was a week one start. It was way up north. It was in the rain. It, it, conference game. Conference game. So yeah. I think I think in spite of everything, he played really well. Yeah, I agree. I think he had some some I think he came off, started a little shaky. Uh, and then I think after halftime, they kind of they kind of slowed him down, started pulling some guards out and some play action sets to uh, to get him some more time and get receivers moving down the field. Um, I would say I would give him probably an eight, eight and a half for his for his first game. I thought he, he had a pretty good performance. Um, we're going to get to some of the other quarterbacks here soon that did not have some good performances yeah. in week one. Um, but I feel like he did a pretty good job and Vegas thinks he did as well because he just shot up to now being in the Heisman race. So that's kind of interesting, but, um, the final score ended up being what 45 to 31 Ohio state wins. Um, and I think Ohio state's going to be doing this for most of the year. I don't really know who is going to put who is going to compete with them moving forward. I think it's going to be interesting to see what Oregon does next week. And we're going to get into that Oregon game tomorrow when we look, when we talk about our week two preview. So, but moving forward to the uh, Boise state UCF game, um, this was a very odd game. Uh, Boise state came out and was slaughtering UCF to start. Um, I think they were up at one point, like 28 to seven or might've been 24 to seven. Uh, and then UCF came all the way back and won 36 to 31. There was a rain delay. Didn't the game didn't get done till later in the evening? I think it was like one in the morning, actually, when it finished. Um, so what are your thoughts on, on both of these programs right now? Obviously, there's that kind of that weird trifecta uh, with with uh, with Auburn and all in the coaches and all, all that sort of stuff. But what was your reaction from the game? Well, I think now it's it's very good in, in hindsight for UCF considering what's been in the news that literally broke, I think that night, that Thursday night that they were playing or delayed that the big 12 was going to send them an invitation to join the league. Yeah. And so I think, you know, in the context of 
who they were playing, you know, two established group of five powers, the fact that they won this game over one of those teams kind of in that like undefined tier of teams in college football. I think, it, I think it's good for them. I think it's a good start to the Gus Malzahn era, especially if he decides to stick around or if he's kept around for this transition to the, to the next conference. So I think it's, I think there's a lot to like, and I don't, I don't know if UCF is necessarily going to contend for a new year six spot this year, but I think, I think they're in a good spot. Yeah. I think they represent the group of five. Well, I think, uh, I think Boise state represent, I think Boise state's also a good representative of the group of five Uh, and Boise state's another one of those teams that might be getting a call soon as well to join another conference. Um, They played well. They also played well. I think this is a, a good game all around. I think both teams can walk away feeling good about it. Um, and obviously with Boise state having a new coach, um, we didn't really know what we were going to see. And I thought UCF's team was a little more talented and they were at home. So they had kind of the edge, but Boise state came out and was playing great. Uh, they're always a well-coached team. And, um, I do think that the, the UCF news was kind of interesting, although I'm not sure if it's the big 12 calling UCF or if it's UCF applying to the big 12. Because I've seen several reports right. saying that UCF, Cincinnati, uh, blanking on the other teams, I think it was Houston, somebody else, they all applied. BYU, BYU, yeah, BYU. BYU. They all, like, applied to the Big 12, but I'm not sure how the communication's been going, whether the Big 12 reached out to them first. Um, I also had a thought about this, and we don't really have to dive into this, but I, I briefly thought about it last week. Like, what if the Big 12 reached out to some of these teams – to like try and snag them before another conference does. Um, yeah. Cause we've, I mean, I've seen stuff about UCF and Cincinnati potentially being ACC candidates. Um, even a team like Houston being an ACC candidate. So may, I was thinking maybe they were trying to jump the gun and get on these teams before uh, something like that happens. But that was just something I yeah. thought of back in my head, but yeah, I agree. Yeah. Definitely, definitely a good game. But moving on to the uh, North Carolina Virginia Tech game, um, obviously this this is my game. Being a Virginia Tech fan, Virginia Tech won seventeen to ten. Was a very defensive game. I felt like I was watching like 2000, 2007 Virginia Tech with their defense and the way that they were playing. Uh, defensive battle, lots of fans there. Enter Sandman. Um, I'm gonna let you speak on this first before I go on it. What, what, did you watch this game? How is what were your thoughts? right afterwards. So the other thing I want to say about, uh, you know, just kind of being college football and is being back and stuff is I kind of, kind of forgot how long the games were, you know? So I started watching this game and I ended up going uh, out for drinks and I was able to watch the start of this game have my girlfriend take a long time to get ready, drive downtown, go to one bar, go to another bar where the game finally ended. And it's just like, you kind of forget how much time these games take. And so that, that was kind of my initial reaction to this game. But um, the thing I was absolutely uh, frustrated with, as I'm sure you and the rest of the um, tech fan base was, was the fact that this game was delayed because of a tennis match. And then all of a sudden it just cut 
to Ender Sandman with no introduction, no mm-hmm. lead up, no pregame. And it was Ender Sandman team ran out in the field and then boom, they're kicking off. Yeah. And obviously like we've had this game circled and we kind we know what's going on, but it was very strange to jump into a game of that caliber with no warning basically. Yeah. I mean, it it almost seemed like ESPN just didn't really even care about it. Yeah. And so I watched right when they cut from tennis. So I watched the, pretty much the entire first quarter and I felt like I was missing out on something. I felt like I was missing a drive or missing Mm -hmm. something to the game. Um, But, you know, once it got started, you know, VTech rode that home crowd and just that, that opening drive touchdown, and it was it was very strong showing from them you know i think i powell was running for his life out there at times and uh all in all it was a really really strong showing uh this game reminded me of the uh tennessee oklahoma game a couple years ago where oklahoma was the the top 10 or so team i believe and they came into knoxville and the tennessee team was kind of that scrappy team that Mm -hmm. that had the hype and Tennessee jumped out to a 17 nothing lead which was kind of what Tech sat on for a while and then they let Oklahoma get back into the game and Oklahoma won it in double overtime and that's kind of what I was waiting for this whole game was for UNC and Sam Howell to because that was a Baker Mayfield team the Oklahoma team just kind of waiting for him to lead the team back and uh at the end when they picked him off again that that was that so i was i was very impressed with uh with virginia tech showing uh the hot start but then putting the clamps on and making sure that even when uh burmeister threw a pick um tech got it right back which yeah. i was so impressed yeah. so Literally, impressed by right because right. that could, right because that kind of stuff can totally kill the momentum and that's a great way to get it back is to take it right back so i was very impressed yeah um i think i think obviously virginia tech's defense played great and i was waiting for that sam howell comeback i thought it was coming uh the whole game i was just holding my breath waiting for the north carolina comeback to happen and then when josh downs had his uh had his touchdown I was like, wow, this team's really explosive. I can see this game just being blown open if UNC gets a lot of momentum. I think Tech's offense really slowed down in the second half. But one of the things I want to highlight, and I don't think I've seen anybody talking about this, even on Tech Twitter, um, Virginia Tech's defense has always had a problem stopping mobile quarterbacks forever. Uh, This has been a Bud Foster thing that's plagued Virginia Tech forever. Anytime that they play a running quarterback, they can't figure out a way to stop them. Uh, when they played, I always forget his name, but Bryce, whatever, from Virginia, he ran all over Virginia Tech, and that was the game that Virginia Tech lost the streak. Uh, they played Lynn Bowden when he was at Kentucky, and he ran for like 200 yards on them in the bowl game, and they barely passed the ball. I mean, they told them they were going to run the ball the entire game. Virginia Tech still couldn't stop them. Um, but it's a common theme across Virginia Tech defenses. And what was interesting to me is Justin Hamilton, the new defensive coordinator for Virginia Tech, he spied Sam Howell very early on. Sam Howell had a couple big runs in the first 
in the first half and then leading in the second half. And then they switched and they spied Amari Barno, number 11, the big 6-6 edge. And he just basically watched how they still got pressure because UNC's offensive line was terrible. And um, it forced Hal to uh, make some mistakes. And that ultimately was the reason why he threw the last interception. But I thought it was interesting because Tech fans have been asking forever, even when Bud Foster was there, why don't we just spy the quarterback? And for them to spy the quarterback this early on and be successful with it, um, I think is a big step for them moving forward. I think Justin Hamilton can be a really intriguing coordinator moving forward. Um, And I'm excited to see how Virginia Tech defense evolves over the season if they keep that momentum moving forward or if it was just a fluke because of the fans. But um, either way, what was that? I I did notice that uh, another team in Virginia also wore all orange for their home opener. I thought that was very interesting from from Virginia to to do that as well. Against William and Mary, too. It wasn't even a big game. Uh, and Virginia, Virginia Stadium was kind of rocking for that game. They had a lot, a lot of their student section was there. It was it was kind of popping. They had the orange going, but nobody watched it. So it was did it really was it really on? <laughs> did it really happen? Virginia wore orange and nobody knew about it. Um, but yeah, we can we can go ahead and move forward now to the next game. Uh, we don't have it on here, but I do want to talk about it just real quick. That Friday slate was a little weird because the six o'clock game for, for Virginia Tech started obviously at six. And that was right after that whole tennis thing, the debacle that was going on. And then immediately following the tech game was the Michigan state Northwestern game. And it started immediately after the tech game. There was no like pause. Hey, let's talk about what just happened or pass the torch. It was like, okay, now here's Michigan State Northwestern at nine o'clock. Like, it's like, it felt like a Pac 12 at night game because of how late it was. Yeah, it was very interesting that they, you know, even though it's central time, the nine o'clock start is very, it was very interesting, especially for a Big Ten. Yeah, I I agree. Um, So I thought, first of all, I think Michigan State might be decent. I think Northwestern is also pretty bad. I think it's a mixture of both. People have been talking about that all week. Is Michigan State good? Uh, I don't think they're necessarily good. They're probably better than they were last year, and I think Northwestern is also probably pretty bad. Um, but I don't think Northwestern's terrible. I think they're just below average and they're lacking talent. But um, I think I, it's interesting to see all of the Big Ten opening uh, against each other because it totally puts that opinion on both sides of the games immediately mm-hmm. one team's one team is one and oh looking like a competitor in the division the other team's oh and one looking for answers probably not going to a bowl and you right. kind of look across you kind of look across the conference and you can kind of make those assessments right now of where all the programs are at and you know it might end up everybody that started one and oh goes six and oh and everybody that started 0-1 goes 0-6. But it's interesting to have those opening week conference games because it totally puts the narrative in motion for both teams right away. Right. No, 100%. And we see it with the AP poll as well and the fluctuation there. But, you know, there, there are teams like – there, there, I think another game that highlights this too is we're going to get to it as well as the Indiana-Iowa game. Um, won't spend right. too much time talking about it right now, but I think that fits that same narrative. Yep. Um, so moving forward, the, the noon game on Saturday to kick off was Penn State, Wisconsin. Uh, Penn State won this game. 
Wisconsin had every single chance to win this game. Um, Graham Mertz, he lost them the game, in my opinion, uh, with his play. I think Wisconsin had the game multiple times, and he made back-breaking mistakes for Wisconsin that you just can't make in that system. Uh, the fumbles, yes. he fumbled the ball like three times. Um, so what, what, what do you think of Wisconsin? I mean, we have the, we, we just talked about these kind of like knee jerk reactions after games like this is, is Graham Mertz not going to make the step we thought he was going to make? What, what is Wisconsin now? What is their trajectory after losing this type of game? So I think, I think they're going to be okay on that side of the division, but conference wise, you know, that was a big 10 West versus big 10 East game and they weren't able to mm-hmm. win. Um, I think, I think Wisconsin coming into this game, they were considered the, the favorite for that division. And, you know, between this game's result and again, what happened in uh, Iowa, I think that the balance of power has totally shifted in that division. And I think Wisconsin is suddenly viewed as this long shot to win, win the, their side of the division. Um, the jump around thing was amazing. They, they, they cut from commercial and televised jump around in its entirety. You know, Gus Johnson, Joel clad up in the booth dancing. It was a spectacle. And I really thought at that point, Wisconsin was up 10, seven. I really thought they were going to carry that momentum into the fourth and, and win. Um, but you know, I, I think honestly, this game came down to whoever made the least amount of mistakes and, you know, Penn state was more methodical. They had more weapons that were utilized because Wisconsin does have weapons They're They return most of their receivers. Yeah. Um, and you know, Mertz, that fumble at the end of the game was so painful. I, I screamed at that fumble because they were about to drive in for the win. And it was, it was so painful to see that not even as a big Wisconsin fan or interested in the outcome of the game. It was so bad. Mm -hmm. So um, I, I think, I think this game says honestly more about Wisconsin's inability to close more than Penn state's ability to escape. Um, and at the end of the day, we'll see if it even matters because this could end up being a game of two seven and five teams at the end of the year. Yeah, I think that's a that's a very real possibility as well. I, don't, I think both teams made a lot of mistakes in general on the offensive side of the ball. And I don't think they were I don't think they did anything that was too impressive either. Um, I think that Wisconsin's offense was very mediocre, even when it was moving. Um, and I feel like Graham Mertz as a passer hasn't taken that next step, even in his third year at Wisconsin. Um, and like you said, these teams could be some seven and five teams at the end of the year. And this game is completely meaningless. But it, it's it's a type of thing where when something like this happens, we watch one of these games like this uh, with these knee jerk reactions. A lot of people are saying, oh, you know, Wisconsin screwed now or Penn State is a great team and they're going to contend, whatever, challenge Ohio State, blah, blah, blah. Um, I'm not ready to believe any of that yet because this game could have gone a different way 
they could have gone a billion different ways had a couple different things happen. So um, I think it was kind of a shitty game to watch too. It was cool. The atmosphere was great. I like defensive games, but I think this was more of an offense's mistakes rather than a defense's playing well. I think Wisconsin yeah. left a ton of points up on the board <laughs> rather than uh, just being put in bad situations by a great defense. So yes. that's kind of my approach to it. Um Final score for this game, Sam? This is a 16-10. 16-10, yeah. Uh, and they could have, like you said, tied the game, won it with an f- extra point at the end if they just if they scored a touchdown, but they did not. Um, moving forward to our next game that we have on here, Stanford and Kansas State. Now, this is one of those games for me when you talk about the March Madness type of thing. We have games going on that you don't necessarily see that you're watching on the box score. This is one of those games for me. I did not, I still yep. haven't watched this game, uh, but I was watching on the ticker the whole time. Uh, does Kansas state have life? I think they do. I think, uh, you know, this, this team, these two teams obviously are in different conferences, but I think this is a, was a game of two teams going in opposite directions. I think Kansas state is going to be more of a contender in the big 12 this year. And I think Stanford is wherever they're going. It's not great. Yeah. And I think, I I think the scoreboard showed and the play showed and Kansas state is never going to be a sexy pick because of their upper upperclassmen. I think their quarterback is, is a sixth-year senior, uh, Skylar Thompson. That's hard to get excited about, you know, in the same conversation as the next great Alabama quarterback and the next great Ohio State quarterback. But mm-hmm. it's that consistency that can make them a contender in the Big 12 this year, and I think I'm excited to see what that team does. Yeah. I, I agree. I think I think this is good for Kansas State, especially in this era of the Big 12 looking absolutely terrible and looking like a dying conference. It's nice to see uh, Kansas State and some of these other programs that are kind of getting screwed because of the Texas and Oklahoma decision to leave um, for them to do well. And this is this is one of those games where um, you like to see a Kansas State have some life uh, when when they've been when it's been so bleak for them recently. Mm-hmm. Um. Moving on to the next game, and I was I was super excited for this game just because I hate Miami, and I actually like I'm a closet Alabama fan, low key, just because I like Saban. Uh, but Miami, Alabama, neutral site, and uh, Miami looked terrible in my opinion. I think Miami looked really bad. I think Bama looked also pretty great. I think Bryce Young is now front runner for the Heisman. That's my I've been saying this for weeks that after week one he'd be the talk. Uh, he is a talk. He is now favorited by all of the sports books to win the Heisman. Um, so what are your, what are your initial thoughts from this game? This was like the big three thirty game. Um, what, what, so the Wisconsin game got over or it went over time and ter- it, so it bled into that three thirty window. And of course, by the time I tuned into Alabama, it was 10, nothing, 17, nothing. And mm-hmm. all I, all I had to do was just go, yep. All right. This is the kind of game it's going to be. And uh, honestly didn't really watch it after that. Um, because I knew that Alabama was going to Alabama, Miami, and 
we'll we'll see how my, how good Miami ends up being once they get into ACC play, and that's kind of it. And yeah. and then we'll we'll circle back next year and see who Alabama gets to play next year. I think it's I I just saw who it was. It's uh, it's so it's I think it's a decent program next year. Let me let me look it up real quick. It might it might be Oregon. Um, no, I think Oregon plays Georgia. I'm not sure, but um, while you're looking that up, uh, yeah, I mean, I just Utah think State, it's and then Utah. at Texas. Interesting. Yeah. Maybe it's in two years. Um, but it's just it's it's crazy to see Alabama dominate the sport like they did last year. And then have so many people kind of start talking about, oh, you know, Miami could do it. Miami could do it. And until Alabama lays a goose egg on national television, Mm -hmm. it's never, it's never going to happen. So stay away from those games. If you're trying to bet against Alabama or pick against Alabama, just don't do it. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I don't I don't know why uh as as a program you would want to play Alabama week one. I think that's a death sentence. Yep. Um it just sets you up for failure, and I don't think you ever walk away thinking that you did something good there. It's it's also gonna be interesting to see which receiver separates themselves from that receiver room as the as the top receiver. I think his name's uh Jameson Williams, the transfer from Ohio State. Alabama. Yeah, crazily enough, uh, he transferred from Ohio State because he saw how the receiver room looked there, and he uh, obviously he went got, to another one. <laughs> yeah, so it could yeah. be him. It could be John Mechie, but it's going to be. Yeah, I wasn't. Have, the thing is with the forgot. with their room, I wasn't really sold on Mechie last year. I, I've 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 loved the Bama receivers, but I didn't really think that Mechie was ridiculous or did anything too crazy for me. Um, but he played really well this game and he looked like he took a step. Of course he did. Right. I mean, I feel like it's the case with all these Bama receivers. It's like, Oh, well, you know, you talk about this with every program. If X player makes, takes a step, Oh, they're going to look good, whatever. And, and Bama, they just seem to always do. Um, so I think Mechie's going to be the best of all of them just based off what I saw this past week. And I think, uh, he has the most experience there too. Bryce Young was cooking the whole game. Yep. Uh, he looked super comfortable out there. And um, is he going to be the most fun quarterback at Bama that we've seen? I think he's going to be more fun than Tua. Yeah, I think he, I think he is going to be. Um, I just, I think Alabama is getting harder to dislike because they have fun. Yes. Fun people, fun players in that offense, you know, Mac Jones, Devontae Smith, like those are good players, but they're not the typical, like dislikable right. Alabama dominant players. Well, and Alabama like when, used to when, dominate when, with just defense, and now they have right. Well, when when Alabama was trotting out people like Blake Sims and Jake Coker, it was easier to dislike them because it was like, oh well, you can just put anybody out there and they'll they'll win with that defense. But now it's easier to identify and enjoy mm-hmm. certain offensive players in that offense 
compared to it's just it's uh, obviously the defense is more popular, but or, or the defense is uh, harder to to tune into and figure out who the good players are. But it's 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 nice yeah. to see Alabama players getting some love. Yeah, no, I mean, they've the thing is, too, is like a lot of these kids that they've gotten have been celebrities before Bama, too. Bryce Young was was widely renowned before he even went to Bama. Uh, so I think that kind of this age of social media and knowing personalities before they get to a school. And then when you see them at the school, you're like, oh, OK, you know, I like that. I can get with that. Um, I, I, I do this all the time because of who I see. But um, we can go ahead and move forward to the next game. And this brings us back around to the to the good old Big Ten talk of the day in terms of making knee-jerk reactions to games. Uh, we mentioned this earlier, but Indiana, Iowa. Um, I liked Indiana going into this game. I thought Indiana was going to play well. I thought they were heading in the right direction. They still might be heading in the right direction, but uh, if you look online, you're going to see a lot of knee-jerk reactions saying that Indiana is probably taking a step back. Uh, they did get blown out 6-34 to 34 against Iowa. Um, they did not play well at all on any side of the ball. Um, special teams, offense, defense, all bad. I'm not really sure what to make of this Indiana team so far. I'm also not really sure what to make of the Iowa team either. We're going to get to this in our episode tomorrow, but Iowa has now moved up into the top 10 of the AP poll. And it's the first time that Iowa, Iowa state game has been a matchup with two top 10 teams. I don't, I'm not sure that Iowa is a top 10 team. I think that's more so for the game, for the hype of the game. Um, but Sam, what are your, what, what was your thoughts from this, from this Indiana, Iowa game? So I think Iowa is a top 10 team and I want to bring in a score from another game. I don't think Iowa state is a top 10 team. And I so I think, I think, I think the whole takeaway from the state of Iowa in week one is that I think the wrong team got all the preseason hype. And I, 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 I just, I, I think with the way that Wisconsin performed and the way that the rest of that division in the big 10 has traditionally been, I think the door is wide open for Iowa to be a competitive team and win that division this year. And the other thing that I wanted to point out is uh, they had a defensive back, Riley Moss, return two interceptions for touchdowns, which is not the first time an Iowa defensive back has done that in a Big Ten game. Josh Jackson did it a couple of years ago mm -hmm. against Wisconsin, and he was a first-round pick. And I don't know if uh, Riley Moss's season is going to progress and he's going to continue to get interceptions, but Iowa has slowly built itself up as a sneaky DBU, and maybe this is the next guy to come out of there with, uh, with all these with all these uh, awards and stuff. But uh, I think that was an interesting takeaway from this game to see that he had those interceptions um, disappointing showing from Indiana. Maybe they got too comfortable with where they had gotten and weren't focused on where they could go from there. Right. Which is, which is a traditional, falling off point of teams that you see flash mm -hmm. in the pan seasons from. That's kind of what we talked about last week was like, is Indiana the type of program that Iowa is? And I told, I said that Indiana 
first needs to be consistent. And um, this was not a necessarily a step in the right direction for that consistency. Now that doesn't mean that they can't still have a good season, whatever. I'm not saying that, but their showing was not up to par. I think they played pretty poorly coming out, but I, I, I agree with the whole DBU thing for, for Iowa. I think they've, they've been pumping some, some pretty good DBs recently. Um, and they continue to have well-rounded DB rooms uh, every year. I think a matchup I would love to see is going to be Iowa versus uh, Ohio state. Cause I think they match up well, I think they match up really well. So I'm going to be looking forward to that as well. Um, interested to see the Iowa, Iowa state game this weekend. Um, I'm not yeah, really sure. I really, I, I really want to talk about that game. I'm looking forward to talking about it, but yeah, I mean, Iowa state, only scored 16 points against an FCS team. And, you know, maybe that, maybe that was them not wanting to show everything that they're going to bring into the Iowa game, or maybe that was, you know, that's, that's Northern Iowa. Those teams Mm -hmm. play each other almost every year. So it is kind of a rivalry. So maybe that's why, but not a great start to their season when they're coming in with all this hype and expectations and, I just don't know if they're a team that can carry those expectations. I think Iowa state is a team that comes out of nowhere and steals your heart, but not a team that can show up in the top 10 of an AP preseason poll and stay there all year. Yeah. I I completely agree there. I think the expectations might be too high for them to handle. Uh, Moving forward now to the Louisiana, Texas game. Uh, This was talked about a lot throughout college football leading up to week one. Um, a lot of people thinking Texas was on upset alert, um, that Louisville was going to win this. I mean, not Louisville, Louisiana was going to win this game. Um, Texas won it and they won it pretty well. They looked pretty good too during the game. Uh, do you think this is kind of Texas's next step as a program? And this is like the start of it. Yeah, I do think so. And I talked about it last week where, you know, Tom Herman era at Texas got off to a really bad start because of the Maryland loss. And then mm-hmm. they ended up doing it again the next year, two right. opening two opening weekend losses to a team that was not very good and didn't end up being very good. And I don't think there enough can be said about what that does for a program where a new coach brings optimism. And if that optimism is immediately shattered week one, there's no you're immediately constrained with your growth opportunities. You're and playing so, catch up, right? Absolutely. And I think the fact that, you know, going back to the March Madness thing, this was the game on the bracket that everybody circled as the upset. That was that ended up not yeah. being the upset. The 5-12 um, seed game. Yep, absolutely. And so I think Texas did a great job because they gave the ball to Bijan Robinson and didn't look back. Yep. Uh, I think Hudson card looked pretty good. I think Texas's defense also looked pretty good as well. Uh, the game was never close. Uh, each, each quarter, uh, Texas was up and uh, ended up winning the game 38 to 18. I think Texas is going to have a pretty good year this year. Uh, they're kind of prepping for the, for whenever they're going to join the sec. But um, I did take a look at Bama's schedule for next year and the year afterwards. And Texas has a home and a home, a home and home, uh, series with Alabama and it's going to be week two of next year and the following year. So that's going to be interesting to see Sark play uh, his former team and to see what Bryce Young looks like next year and to see if Texas will even have a shot 
in week two. Um, I'm sure game day is already there. Oh, 100%. They're, they've scheduled that. They will be 100% there. Uh, the next game we got on here, Clemson, Georgia. This was a pretty boring game. We talked about – let me just say, I – we have been talking about for a while that these opening games like this are not always – they just don't live up to the hype. Something always happens, whatever. And this game was just – the score was terrible. The offenses were bad. Uh, defenses played well, but I think it was more a reflection of the offenses not playing well. I think DJ Uyangalale uh, – I think he had a pretty bad performance and uh, Bryce Young being his counterpart and coming out and playing the way he did, I think does not look too good for DJ. So um, what were your initial thoughts after this game? I, I did, I picked Georgia to win. Um, and so, they did. so this game, I want to lump in with two other games. We've already talked about the North Carolina, Virginia tech game and the Penn state Wisconsin game. All of these games were won by teams that scored between 10 and 10 and 17 points. And the problem with televising sporting events is that you want it to be a good watch. And Mm -hmm. in a normal year, I don't think any of these games would have been good watches, but you know, obviously Clemson, Georgia, ended as a one possession game, but it felt like a blowout. But all of, all of these games, I don't think they would, I mean, yeah, we're talking, we talked about them as bad games, but we all watched them. Right. Because we haven't gotten to see football in so long and the fans watched it. Like the bank of America stadium in Charlotte was full at the end of this game, as bad as the product on the field was. And I just don't, I, I always think about that with defensive games because people will call defensive games, bad games because they didn't get to see 80 yard touchdowns right. uh, by receivers or a running back breaking a long one, because that constitutes a good game in the sense of a good watchable game. Mm-hmm. And so I just think it's interesting that we got kind of all these high profile, low scoring games because I think everybody still watched them. Yeah. And I don't think you would get that in a normal year. And I watched, I watched a lot of clubs in Georgia as did a lot of other people, because it was that game of the weekend and people, I think were kind of watching, waiting for that play to happen. And it never did. Mm -hmm. And it was, it was just, it was an interesting, just interesting to look at that game, especially in the context of, these opening games never live up to the hype, but diving into the actual game, I think Georgia's defense looks very, yes, very scary. looks like probably and, one of the best defenses in college football. Yeah. And I think we talk about, you know, which team has more to lose. I think Clemson's offensive line got exposed. Yeah. Clemson uh, has not been churning out any offensive linemen like their counterparts have. And the thing, the thing is where we talk about, oh, both of these teams are going to be in the playoff discussion at the end of the year. This is a pretty bad blemish on Clemson because they have a weak schedule. And when they're talked about in playoff debates, people are going to say, well, their offensive line was completely destroyed by another playoff defense. So the same thing is going to happen when they get to the playoff. 
Yep. And 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 further to that, Clemson's now on a two-game losing streak against very good teams. And, and so in which they haven't looked that great in either in the first right. one. Right. And all the the negative comments about DJ Uyungle as oh, it was his first start, but he not only played last year, but Trevor Lawrence played in that other game that they lost. And so right. where was the where was the pass for him? Exactly. So I think the offensive line is a major problem for Clemson moving forward. And I don't think this is the only game that's going to be exposing their offensive line. I think some other teams in the ACC are going to, are going to make that happen and going to make things kind of, kind of scary for, for Clemson. I think so too. And the fact that you don't have a back like Travis Etienne in the backfield Mm -hmm. is very concerning. Uh, The, I forget his name, but the Wisconsin running back was actually a Clemson transfer. Um, this weekend. And so just kind of interesting to compare where transfers go. Right. Um, I think, I think it's interesting for both programs. I think Clemson, I don't think they're hitting the panic button yet, but they have a lot to figure out, especially with that offensive line moving forward. Um, I just thought it was interesting to see DJ get all this hype moving towards the season and then have that type of performance where his counterpart had virtually zero hype at Bama and him coming out to play the way he did. So I think this game was, um, I, I actually, I like defensive games, but I did think that this game showcased more so of Clemson's offensive ineptitude, um, than anything else. And I think that's going to come back to bite him in the ass if they don't fix that soon. So moving forward to the LSU UCLA game, um, I'm not even sure where to start with this one. I, uh, I personally, I didn't think UCLA was going to pull the upset. Um, I thought that LSU was going to be bouncing back. Uh, I didn't think that DTR would be able to throw against that secondary. And I, I think I was, I was completely wrong. I think a lot of people were completely wrong. Um, what does this game do for UCLA or LSU? What are the, what are the implications from this game? I think when you look at the Pac-12 as a league after this weekend, I think the fact that even though it's just week one, obviously UCLA is 2-0 after their week zero win, you know, if the conference has a team to get behind, I think that's good, especially with the drastic ineptitude of the rest of the league this past weekend. Um, And obviously Arizona State – uh, is off to a good start, Utah. So there are teams in the league that are 1-0, but not as high profile as UCLA right now. And so I think the question becomes, can UCLA carry the baton for the league until it's passed on to another team that beats UCLA or something else happens? And so I think it's really good for the Pac-12 to have this win to hang their hat on, especially against the SEC. Yep. Um, I was very impressed by the running game. Just very, I think uh, DTR only completed nine passes and that all of those ended up going for over 200 yards. So I think that just goes to show the explosivity of the offense, but he was all, he only completed nine or eight out of a lot more attempts. So it just goes to show if he would have made, five, six more of those throws, you could be talking about maybe two more touchdowns and they, the score could have been even worse. So right. um, I really liked 
Zach Charbonnet, uh, Britton Brown, the running game. And for LSU, I mean, can is it too early to say that Max Johnson's not it? Because I don't, I don't think it's, I don't think it's too early at all. I mean, one other thing that I that I want to talk about about this game as well is like when I think of a Pac-12 team beating an SEC team like an LSU, whatever. I think about the way that they would do that would be volume in the passing game and airing out the game and speed getting outside, not really messing with the trenches. And it, it was, it was just, that's not how this game happened. Like that's not how this game happened at all. It was like, it was like you, UCLA was just dominating in the trenches, dominating in the run game. And that's not how I envisioned a PAC 12 victory here. So I think it was cool to see the PAC 12 come right. in and uh and 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 kind of win in the trenches at, at such a high level i think that kind of goes to show that maybe the gap that we thought was there in the trenches between both uh conferences isn't as big as we thought yeah absolutely and uh the rose bowl was pretty full except for that upper section that was just yeah, yeah ucla all blue yeah. <laughs> uh i mean hopefully over the course of the season if if LA opens up more COVID, I, I think they still have some COVID restrictions over there, but a combination of UCLA and USC being good, hopefully will get fans there. I'm, I'm, I'm hoping um, it's going to be interesting. It's going to be a great, I, I really hope that LA gets behind their football teams because you have potentially USC and UCLA being good in college. And then you also have, the chargers and the Rams being very interesting and probably playoff teams in the NFL. And it's like, can the fans support the teams? I hope so. And I want to see that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. As, and as we go down, if UCLA is, does end up being in playoff conversations, I think the question is, do we look at this win in November as a good win or is LSU kind of still trying to find their footing? So mm -hmm. I, that's my question about this game is, on paper, that's two big brands. It's SEC Pac-12. It looks like a good win now. I hope it stays a good win. Yeah, I think same. I think LSU could still be very good. Obviously, we're kind of not talking about the fact that they were displaced because of the hurricane mm -hmm. and they've been on the road. But I just I I wonder if this is going to be a good win down the road. I, I think it, I think it will be, but I think these opening week games, you have yeah. to ask that question. Right. Because a lot of games that look like great opening, let me give an example real quick. Back in 2018, Virginia tech went into Florida state and beat a ranked Florida state in dramatic fashion. And it looked like that was an awesome win for Virginia tech. Well, it turned out that that Florida state team was absolutely terrible. And that wasn't a great win for Virginia tech. I don't, I think that Florida state team ended up, with a losing record that year. Um, so those are the questions that you need to ask. Sometimes you win a ranked game at the beginning of the year. Um, that ranked team might not actually be that good at all. They just might be the preseason hype. So um, we are hoping for that for UCLA and LSU. I think LSU is going to bounce back as well. So moving forward to the Notre Dame, Florida state game, uh, the night game on Sunday night was the only big game on Sunday. Um, this game was super interesting. I loved watching this game. Um, I hate Florida State, but I loved Florida State in this game because of Mackenzie Milton coming back. Um, was 38 to 38 in overtime. 
Florida State came back 18 points at the start of the fourth quarter to tie the game, to send it into overtime. Um, what does this say about Notre Dame, this game? So I, I think I predicted last week that if Jack Cohn struggled, you would see the freshman Tyler Buckner in here. Yeah. I was not expecting Jack Cohn to go out there and light it up. I don't know if that says more about his preparation and his fit in their offense. Obviously, I think Wisconsin would have loved for uh, loved to have a guy like Jack Cohn back in their offense this past weekend. Um, but it's uh, I just kind of wonder if this is one of those week one games where we overreact to maybe Florida State's defense isn't that good. And Notre Dame is no stranger to those week one overreactions, you know, right. It gave, it gave me, it gave me reminders of the game that they played at Texas a couple of years ago that they lost in overtime. Yeah. And that was the, that was the infamous Texas is back game. However, this one had a different vibe to it where I, I was more optimistic about the chances of both of these teams going forward. And I don't think I've ever seen more optimism around a football team after a loss or just the yes. vibes that I'm getting around Florida state from this game. I don't know if it was because Mackenzie Milton came into the game and he's obviously such a great story, right? Everybody's rooting for him. I thought that was so great. It was so, and it was so amazing that he came in and, and led them back. Yeah. yeah. Led them to a touchdown drive. Um, especially considering uh, Mike Norvell kind of had some questionable calls in the Some really uh, bad in, fourth down calls in the early portions of that second half where you kind of thought maybe the game was going to spiral out of control. Um, I think Kyle Hamilton is on his way to becoming a top 10 draft pick. Yeah. Uh, very impressed by him in Notre Dame secondary. Um, but I just kind of, I kind of, I kind of wonder where this Florida State team is going to go. I know that they've gotten some hype. I think, with I, both Jordan Travis and uh, Milton looked good under center. Yeah. And I, it was very cool to see them come back. It was kind of a, kind of a uh, bad ending, I would say with how much dramatics there were towards the end of uh, regulation for it right. to end in overtime on a, on a missed field goal and then a made field goal. Yeah. And but, then they, they ice their own kicker after he made right. the field goal. And I think, you know, there's always those conversations about, oh, college football is better when UC, uh, USC is good or Texas is good. But I would say a night game in Doak Campbell where the tomahawk chop is yep. deafening is right up there because that to me is a great, a great atmosphere. And when I see and hear that on TV, that's college football to me. Mm-hmm. And it was very cool to see that atmosphere back. And obviously it's charged by the death of coach Bowden. Um, But very cool to see. And I'm excited to see where both of these teams go forward. I was very happy to see that Jack Cohen had a good game. Yeah. I I mean, I think one of the, I think where a lot of the Florida state positivity comes from is the fact that they just play with so much energy. They play with so much emotion. Um, And that's something we haven't seen from Florida state teams recently at all in the past probably three or four years. Um, yep. And it's just like, they just have so much talent every year. They don't play hard. They play like shit. They don't, it doesn't seem like they care about the game, whatever. And watching this game, it's like 
you can feel their emotion. You can feel how much they care right. about this game, how much they're playing for each other. And I think that was the biggest thing. Uh, if you're, if you're a Florida state fan, you love that. But I, I hated the ending personally. I was, I, I was like after that McKenzie Milton comeback and then for it to be a missed field goal and that Notre Dame get off the hook and went on, I don't know. I just thought the ending was garbage, but the everything leading up to overtime was awesome. I think that was one of, if not the games of the week. Yeah, I totally agree. Um, so then speaking of games of the week, one game that was the complete opposite of a game of the week might be the worst game of the week was the Louisville Ole Miss game uh, last night on Monday night. Um, this game was a terrible game to watch. Louisville looks like shit on all levels of the team. Like, I don't think Louisville looked good at any position group last night. Um, I personally don't think Louisville wins more than four games. They, they look that bad. Uh, Louisville fans are looking to fire the coach, get rid of the quarterback, switch everything, start from scratch again. Um, I think that's true. I also think Ole Miss's offense looks good. It looks intriguing. I think Matt Corral looks really good as well. And with all these other quarterbacks, like say Sam Howell, now looking as good as a lot of people thought he would look week one is Matt. Does Matt Corral have a spot in now the first round? moving forward is he that type of quarterback that's going to push towards the first round as the season goes on so i think that's the i think matt corral is the only storyline that's actually interesting from this game um because louisville was a complete dud what did you yeah think? i no i i agree i i totally forgot this game was on uh fans, on. fans forgot it was on too because there was yep. nobody there i totally forgot the game was on turned it on and saw i think the last of the targeting ejections uh watched until halftime and turned it off just because i i old miss looks good uh, watching any old miss game is usually a very nice watch because their offense is fun and they usually have nice uh color combinations for the uniforms yeah, but color combination was, in general is awesome the yeah, red blue it's just yeah it was just ugly with louisville i think anything involving louisville this year you're not going to want to touch. Yeah. Honestly. And that's uh that's a bummer for their quarterback. I think it's Malik Willis. No, Malik uh, Cunningham. Malik Cunningham. Uh, Malik Willis is the Liberty guy, right? Uh yes. Yes. Okay. Sorry. Malik Cunningham. I feel bad for him. Feels like he's gonna totally uh carry this team as far as he can carry it this year. And I don't think that's gonna get them very far. So yeah, I also don't think um, he can carry them that far anyways. Right. But so, I, I was uh, not not yeah. super uh, satisfied with uh, that game being the last game of the weekend. And it kind of left with a bad taste in my mouth. Yeah. Um, so it was in the same stadium that the Miami-Alabama game was played in. So the Mercedes-Benz Stadium in Atlanta. And the vibes for both of the games were completely different completely different mm-hmm. uh like obviously like alabama miami tons of fans there great atmosphere and then Ole miss louisville it, like it, it it was almost like everybody forgot the game was on it looks like the players from louisville forgot that they were even playing a football game that yeah. night uh just just weird weird all around so that kind of wraps up sort of our slate we're gonna run through a couple games real quick here um before we get out of here uh, mm-hmm. First one, fire away, Fresno State, Oregon. Fresno State gave Oregon a run for their money. 
what what are your sort of thoughts in this game? Yeah, I think it was uh, I think it was one of those. It was a ticker game for me. Yeah, yep, yeah, it was a ticker game for me, as was the uh, Oklahoma Tulane game. So it was very interesting to kind of in both of these games see see the favorite go up early, mm-hmm. and then see the other team work their way back. I think Fresno and Tulane are both going to be good teams this year. Uh, I agree. And I, I think for Oklahoma, they just kind of slept walk through that second half for Oregon. They might just not be that good this year. Mm-hmm. And yep. so it's, it's disappointing uh, to see them start out uh, this year again. They got to figure out their quarter quarterback situation because Anthony Brown is not it. Right. And so, I, I just, uh, it was a bummer to also see Kayvon Thibodeau get knocked out of that game. Yeah. Um, he should and, play next week and then just sit the rest of the year. Yep. Yep. I, I agree. And, uh, the other game in here, uh, USC San Jose state, uh, they're what we think to be good mountain West team, but USC, USC took care of business. Yep. And that, that very well could have easily been an upset game in my opinion. Right. Um, the other games, the other games I want to run through here really quick are uh, West Virginia, Maryland. Uh, Maryland wins this game. Uh, Maryland Florida, looked pretty good. Yeah, I, I I think so too. Florida beat FAU, Texas A and M beat Kent State, and then uh, Nevada beat Cal. Uh, not as many points as I thought in the Nevada Cal game, mm-hmm. but I think to your point about Matt Corral, now that we've got some games. It's going to be very interesting to see Carson Strong. It's going to be, yep. It's going to be very interesting to see how the quarterback pieces start moving in the draft board this season, because Matt Corral, uh, baby Tua, Dustin, Dustin Crum at Kent state is another kind of out there prospect that could be, could be a fringe top quarterback. Um, it's going to be very interesting to see now that we've now that these quarterbacks are getting some games and getting some reps, especially against this competition early in the year. It's going to be very interesting to see how the hierarchy starts moving around, especially with uh, guys like Sam Howell and Spencer Rattler kind of having shaky starts to the season. Right. Yep. I, I completely agree. Um, it, it's going to be completely flipped around. Uh, I think. I think this year more than ever, we've walked into a college football season thinking that we have a draft board set up. You know how I like going into every college football season, there's like, oh, we're projecting the next year's draft and who's going to be QB one, two, three, whatever. But I think this year has been the year where everybody's like really honed in on who they thought it's going to be and how it's going to end up. Yep. And I don't think it's going to be like that at all. I think there's yeah, and uh, yeah, and Derek Stingley is another one. Yeah, Derek, St- Derek Stanley, he uh, did not look good against UCLA. He could very well fall, in my opinion. Yep. So yeah. the other games on here that I quickly want to get through, uh, Purdue beat Oregon State, uh, BYU beat Arizona. Mm-hmm. That was actually a lot closer than I thought it was going to be. Uh, Tennessee beat Bowling Green, but it wasn't quite the uh, – if you could get mad at a team in a blowout, I don't think 38 to six is the best showing for an SEC team versus what is believed to be one of the worst teams in college football. 
So yes. it, it's interesting to see that fan base uh, being upset over a win. Um, <laughs> I think, uh, you know, I'm rooting for Joe Milton, but looks like they got it done on the ground, maybe not through the passing game, which is a problem moving forward. Uh, Texas Tech beat Houston, which I thought was very strange because I think the – I, this could, I mean, this is this is a matchup of future Big Twelve opponents. Yeah. But it's just very interesting to see kind of more ex more expected out of Houston in this game, and so the fact that Houston lost this game kind of says feels like it's saying more about them than it does Texas Tech. Yeah. Especially uh, in a year where Matt Wells is kind of on that hot seat. This game ended up being Texas Tech thirty eight, Houston twenty one, but uh, Houston was up twenty one to seven very very early on um and texas tech came all the way back and houston never scored again in the second half so uh kind of a bad it was a, it was a ticker game for me and when i looked down at it i was like oh houston's up then they're probably gonna win and then all of a sudden texas tech just comes out of nowhere and blows them out uh very big 12-esque type of game so moving forward after that we have um UTSA, Illinois. I, I think uh, everybody's been kind of whispering it this summer, but I think everybody should buy stock in UTSA. Mm-hmm. Um, Northern Illinois was supposed to be very bad this year and didn't, was was coming off a very bad year, and they ended up beating Georgia Tech. Yeah, um, bad weekend Louis- for the ACC. Yeah, Louisiana Tech uh, was up on Mississippi State, but uh, – Mississippi State came back late. Uh, Holy Cross beat UConn and caused Randy Edsel to retire yesterday. Yep. So I guess that's your that's your bracket game. That was the uh, if you want to call it even a sixteen. <laughs> honestly, <laughs> I, honestly, no. The UConn game is probably like an eight nine game. Uh yeah, um, and the NIT. Yeah, eight nine <laughs> game in the NIT, and then. Montana beat Washington, which is very bad for the big for the for the Pac-12, just because Washington was ranked number twenty in the preseason poll, right. and people were talking themselves into Washington. And obviously, I don't think it's going to be there this year, and maybe not at yeah. all. Be like, I, I uh, think the loss kind of sucks in general because it makes the Michigan game this week worse. Like I feel like it yeah, just sure. it, it yeah. makes it less interesting. Yeah, sure makes my ticket look like worse, worse of a uh, decision. But <laughs> the fact that that game is at 8 p.m. and the Ohio State Oregon game is at noon is just interesting to me. Yeah, I think I think a lot of people would like to have those games switched. I agree. I think I think vast majority of people would want those games switched. Um, uh, last thing I have is uh, shout out Charlotte getting that first Power Five win. Yep, I called that one. I, yep, I even though it was against Duke, uh, shout out Will Healy, shout out the Charlotte 49ers. Yeah, big, big facts. Uh, shout out Tulane for putting up a fight against Oklahoma. Um, and I think Sir, Syracuse blow out Ohio, or was it a close no, game? but no, no, but they beat them, and I think that's good for Dino Babers. Yep, I agree because the because that game was at Ohio, yeah. Yep. It was a weird. It was twenty nine to nine because I was following that because I was worried. I'm worried about my boy Dino. So, mm-hmm. well, uh, 
I think that wraps up our week one review recap, whatever you want to call it. Um, do we have any last thoughts, Sam? I am. I'm happy to be, to be back watching this much football during a weekend. Oh yeah, me too. Um, I, I want this every weekend. So this weekend I had, a, I had a great setup being able to watch every single game. Um, hopefully I can maintain that level of watching throughout every weekend. Um, I was at home, so I had a great setup, but, uh, I had a great time. I thought this was an awesome opening week to college football. This next week's going to be great too. Um, lots of cool games. We're going to recap tomorrow in our preview for week two. Uh, there's also NFL football this weekend, um, kicked off on Thursday by Cowboys and Bucks. There's already COVID cases for the Cowboys. So that game's already a little less interesting. Zach Martin's not going to be playing, but, um, we're excited. I think this is going to be a great year for college football. I think we got off on the right foot. Um, all the conferences have a little something to show for, and I think they have some areas to improve as well. Um, I don't think there's any conference that walked away feeling extremely dominant either. Um, and that's good. I think it's a good thing for all of college football. So that's all I got. Sam, do you have any last comments? This part of the year is the most exciting because you're either one and oh, and optimistic or your own one and still trying to be optimistic. So all the fan bases are optimistic. Nobody's, yep. nobody's out of the race at this point, even though at the end of the month, probably 90% of the sport is going to be out of it. So right. uh, if you're the, a fan of any team, you can talk yourself into it. The, the optimism at the beginning of the year and just the excitement of the sport being back is it's my, it's my favorite part of the year because of that, because everybody's excited. Yep. And um, hopefully, hopefully we can keep being excited about our teams because that keeps us excited about everybody. So that is the goal. But until next time, thanks for uh, stopping into the Untitled Sports Podcast. We might just keep this name as our name, but um, that's all I got.